Welcome to the Power of Synergy on BBS Radio. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona. What is synergy? It's what people create when we come together with other people. Humans are powerful beings when they're alone, but the things that we can do when we come together are even more powerful. Our capacity is infinite for the simple reason that, as souls, we have a body and a mind and a heart and a spirit. When those four things come together, working together with the same focus and intention, they're dynamic. But the literal definition of synergy is the interaction or cooperation of two or more substances or entities to produce a combined effort greater than the sum of their separate effects. So what does that even mean in a practical sense? Well, there's a popular expression, the total is worth more than the sum of its parts. That's especially true about people. Humans become exponentially more powerful when they're united in thought and intention and volition because everything that they're thinking and feeling at all times will affect the other person and their mutual energy intensifies. So my show is about becoming more personally powerful and mindfully proactive, both when alone and with others. Today, the show is going to be about functionality in human behavior, completely about the levels of functionality in the Myers-Briggs personality profile system. Now, this is a very popular tool used worldwide because it is so accurate and effective. But the point of learning functionality is understanding that everyone does everything, no matter what their personality. It's just a matter of in what way and for how long in order to be healthy as that personality. MBTI is extremely extremely popular worldwide because it is so accurate and can potentially be very helpful in relationships and work and time and money management. And there are a lot of books and videos and classes about the basic elements of four dichotomies. But the show today is going to be about taking that general common information and understanding it in a more practical way. Now, if you're not already familiar with Myers-Briggs to some extent, then just think about the principles that I'm going to be covering today in personality and human behavior to help you understand personality profiling from a different perspective than what you might already see it as. It's the tool that can be used to facilitate success in you and the people in your life. Only if it's used in an educated and an unselfish and a responsible way. The plan is going to be opening up the lines to listeners for specific questions in the last 10 minutes of the show. But if you have any questions or want clarification on anything that I say before that, please feel free to give me a call. The number is 888-627-6008. Okay, so... Let's just start with the basics. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the four dichotomies because, like I said, there is so much information out there that you can have access to on the Internet and books and tapes. And oh, I'm sorry, we don't do tapes anymore. This is a 21st century CDs. Anything that you want to know, you can go ahead and Google it and find it in five minutes. Now, 
I am going to go over the basic questions that if you can answer these questions, very simple and direct questions, you can pretty much figure out your personality unless you have personal issues with the things that you might have learned to do in your life that really aren't the real you. But let's start with the first one. It's about your social energy. You're either an introvert or an extrovert. Now, keep in mind that only as these terms in MBTI, they mean very specific things. An introvert is someone who gets their energy from within and they spend it on people. An extrovert is someone who gets their energy from other people and spends it when they're alone. Okay, so let's ask some specific questions. Number one, who do you call your friend? An introvert in a 60, 70, 80 year life, they can probably count on one hand the number of people that they truly consider to be their friends. An extrovert probably likes half the people in their world by the time they're two years old. Okay, number two question that I like to ask people. How much does it bother you to be interrupted while you're in a conversation? You know what? Extroverts don't even realize they're being interrupted because they're probably very likely to be interrupting the people that they're talking to as well. An introvert would be very thrown off by it, very turned off by it. They might actually leave a conversation if it's a repeated behavior. And number three, how much does it bother you to have to yell in order to be heard? or compete with other noise in the background in order to talk to people. An introvert would say, you know what, I'm just, I'm not going to have this conversation anymore. An extrovert would say, that's why I have lungs and vocal. (laughs) We have the volume here. We can go ahead and turn it up as loud as it needs to be. You can pretty much get an idea if you're an introvert or an extrovert just based on those three questions. Okay, the second letter of your personality is S or N. Sensory or intuitive. Now, the word intuitive starts with I, but I was already assigned to introvert, so they use the second letter, the N. Okay. These are about your general focus in life. You've got five senses, and you've got a brain and a heart taking in all of those five senses stimulation. Are you more focused on your external world or your internal world? You can't be in both places at the same time. So one of the questions I like to ask people is, how easy is it for you to get lost when you're going to a new place? Well, sensors, they see and hear and remember everything, and they're very aware of what's going on around them at all times. Do you know what? An intuitive, they could be in a place two, three, maybe even four times and not necessarily remember all of the specific details. Okay, the second question that I ask is, Any kind of stimulation good? Even uh, bad stimulation? Well, what about food? A sensor would say, you know what, I want to try every possible new experience just for the stimulation of the experience. An intuitive would say, hmm, that looks interesting. Yeah, I'll go ahead and watch someone else have the experience and think about what it means. (laughs) Okay, how about question number three? Speculation about the future. Can you imagine and hypothesize and speculate about what things could and would and might be two years from? You know what? A sensor would say there is no way you can possibly know what's going to happen down the road because there are going to be 75,000 things that are going to happen between here and there, and you're wasting your time not having experience in life. You're sitting there thinking about what life could be. 
Okay, you can pretty much get an idea. You're either sensory or intuitive from those good three questions. All right, the third letter of your personality is about how you make decisions. You're either a thinker or a feeler. Okay, you know what? Thinkers aren't any smarter than feelers, and feelers aren't any more emotional than thinkers. Keeping in mind, this is just in the context of personality. How do you make decisions? Do you make decisions based on information or based on the needs of other people? Okay, well, that's kind of confusing, maybe. So let's go ahead and ask the three questions. The first one I ask, how stressful is conflict for you? Feelers do not like any kind of conflict at any time. They will make the personal sacrifices in order to resolve or avoid conflict. Thinkers don't mind conflict. It's a necessary part of life, and it's the stepping stone to resolution and progress. Okay, the second question, how much does being rational matter to you? Well, you know what? A thinker would say if it's not logical and rational, it's probably a stupid thing to do. There's nothing more stupid in life than being irrational. Well, a feeler would say that's not true because you know what? Love isn't rational. And when you're taking care of the needs of other people, you're creating happiness in life and things like that can't be defined or explained. Okay, here's one hypothetical situation that I like to present to people. Let's say you had to perform surgery on someone that you love, life-saving surgery on someone that you love, but you didn't know how to perform the surgery and there was no real anesthetic for that person. So you knew that everything you were doing for them in the surgical procedure was good for them. It was saving their life, but it was causing them pain. How much would it cause you pain to know that even though what you were doing was good, you were the one making them cry out? A thinker would say, you know what, you got to detach, you read the book, and the smarter you are and the way you execute all of the steps, and again, you're getting them better, and pain is just part of life. A feeler would say, I would completely shut down and have a nervous breakdown because I can't think about information when I know someone that I love is suffering that much. Okay, and then the last letter, how do you carry out the decisions that you make? You're either a perceiver or a judger. Let go of any, any resistance you may have to being a judger. That doesn't mean you're judgmental. It means that when you carry out your decisions, you like structure and predictability and consistency. Well, a perceiver likes spontaneity and the freeness to make the decisions in a, in a flexible way. Okay, so some questions that I like to ask people to help you determine if you're a perceiver or a judger. How much do you like to make lists? Well, you know what? Everybody likes to make a list at the beginning of the day. A perceiver probably would lose their list in the first half of the day. A judger not only keeps their list, but they get excited when they scratch off one of the items. And if they do something that wasn't on their list, they would write it on their list just so they could scratch it off. Okay, well, are you more excited? The second question, are you more excited at the beginning or the end of whatever it is that you've set out to do? Perceivers have more energy at the beginning of the task. Judgers have more energy at the end, only upon completion. If they don't complete what they started, they get very frustrated. And then the last question, and this is, if you have any questions still, this is the one that will help it really solidify for you. How much does it bother you to be late? You know what? A perceiver says the party doesn't start till I get there. Yeah, my appointment's at... 235, but 
they're probably not even going to see me until 2.45. Well, you know what? They're not going to see me until I get there. Okay, you know what? A Jay would say, if my appointment is at 2.35, I need to be there at 2.30, because if I'm not five minutes early, I'm five minutes late. And if I know that my circumstances are going to make me either 55 minutes early or five minutes late, I would rather be an hour early than five minutes late. <laughs> yes, I have some Jays in my life, and let's just say I'll never be a Jay. So there, all my listeners know I'm not Jay. <clears throat> so here's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. Everyone does everything. Because you have to. If you're going to be successful in life, you have to be able and willing to do everything. Circumstances will inevitably demand that. The question again is, what is the easiest and most natural thing for you? You know what? You might not even know. Depending on culture, personal history, different personal experiences in life and people in your life you might not have been given the opportunity to discover who you truly are. That might be a project for you right there. Okay, but in the event that you do understand the basics of MBTI, part of this show is going to be just the understanding of functionality in the context of MBTI. <clears throat> There's a formula to help you determine functional order it's kind of confusing if you're not writing it down, but I'll, I'll explain it in the most simple and direct way possible. Now, the last letter of your personality indicates which of the two middle letters, the SN and the TS letters, which one is going to be extroverted, okay? Because one of your middle letters is going to be introverted and the other one is going to be extroverted. And, you know, people say, well, I'm an ambivert. I do both. I do some things introverted and I do some things extroverted. We all do some things introvertedly and other things extrovertedly. The last letter of your personality indicates which of the two middle letters is going to be extroverted. If the last letter of your personality is P, then the second letter, the S or N, is going to be extroverted. If the last letter of your personality is J, then the third letter, the T or the F, will be extroverted. So then if you know which one is extroverted, then you can assign the introverted inclination to the other letter. So then you look at, you look at the first letter of your personality. If you're an extrovert, you're going to want to do the extrovertedly inclined activity more than the introverted one. If you're an introvert, you will prefer the introverted activity. Okay, so let's, let's just um, go through a few different personalities for an example so you can see what I said um, literally. Okay, so let's pick a, a personality. Let's say it's an ENFJ. The last letter of the personality is a J, which means the third letter is going to be extroverted. The F is extroverted, which means that the N is introverted. Okay, so if the F is extroverted, since they are an extrovert, that's going to be the one that they want to do more. They're going to want to do feeling activities more than intuitive activities because their feeling is extroverted and an ENFJ is an extrovert. 
So that means their intuition is introverted. They're going to want to do that less. But they will need to do both of them throughout the day. Okay, so let's take an INTP. Okay, so the P would mean that the N is extrovertedly inclined. That means that the T is introvertedly inclined. And as an introvert, they would take their introvertedly inclined T and want to do that more than their extrovertedly inclined N. They would do their T first and their N second. But you will always know that the T will have an introverted inclination and the N will always be in an extroverted way. Those things do not change. Okay, so if we know then you're still going to have to do the other things, right? Keeping in mind that in functionality, even if you're an ENFJ, okay, then you're going to have to do things that are sensory and thinker, even though those aren't your preferences. So how do you know how much of the sensory things and how much of the thinking things you're going to want to do? Well, we love the beautiful principle of balance in nature. So keeping in mind that if the number one activity is extroverted feeling, then the least favorite activity is going to be introverted thinking. ENFJs don't want to do introverted thinking at all if they don't have to because it's the polar opposite of what they love to do, extroverted feeling. Okay, well... If their intuition is introverted, then when they're doing sensory things, they're going to do that in an extroverted way. So their extroverted thing, which is the polar opposite of introverted intuition, well, that's not quite as bad as introverted thinking, so that's number three on the list. So of the four activities that need to be done, an ENFJ has extroverted feeling, introverted intuition, extroverted sensing, and introverted thinking. From greatest to least favored, right, preferred activities. And the other example, the INTP, well, since their introverted thinking is number one, extroverted feeling for them is the very bottom of the list. Okay, well, then if their extroverted intuition was number two, introverted sensing would be number three. Okay, so you know what? They have the the names, those descriptions of number one, number two, number three, and number four. The first one, the, the preferred activity, is your dominant function. The second one that you like to do is your auxiliary function. Number three activity is tertiary function. And number four is inferior Okay, so you know what? You're going to have to do all of those things. The question is, how much time should you spend doing those things? Well, I liken each of those levels, each of those activities to daily functions that you have in life. The first one, your dominant function, I liken it to breathing. That's something you have to do all day, every day. In order for someone to be healthy, you really do need to do your dominant function as much as you breathe constantly throughout the day and included pretty much in everything that you do. I tell people nine to ten hours a day 
that's going to be good for you. <clears throat> because if you're awake for 16 hours a day, because you're getting eight really good hours of sleep, right? So 24 minus the eight hours of sleep, you're awake 16 hours a day. You need to spend nine to 10 hours doing your dominant function. Well, the auxiliary function, I liken it to eating. You don't have to do it all day, every day, but it is vitally important to your life. You need to do your um, auxiliary function for three to four hours a day, kind of like eating. Okay, well, your tertiary function, I liken it to walking. It's not really hard, but it is a practical life skill, and you're going to have to do it, not necessarily at great lengths for an extended period of time, all at a time. Well, you know, you can do it a little here and a little there, but it is vital to you making it through life. So I tell people walking, you need to do it for two to three hours a day, and you will be healthy. And then the inferior function, I liken it to running. Mm, yeah, you can you can do that. You can do it a lot, but it's actually not good for you to do it more than one to two hours a day. Think about it in the context of running. If you were to run more than two hours a day, it would be harmful to your body. And doing your inferior function for more than two hours a day is harmful to your mental and emotional health. Okay, so... Let's take a closer look then at each of those levels. Let's look at the dominant level first. Well, why, why is that so important for you to do for 9 to 10 hours a day? Okay, well, because it has three sort of qualities to it, three different manifestations in you and therefore in your life. Number one, it's so easy for you. It's like a no-brainer. You can do it without even thinking about it. It's automatic. Okay, well, kind of like breathing. <laughs> but also the second quality of your dominant function, it's naturally gratifying to you. You get satisfaction from doing it just because doing it is satisfying for you. Not necessarily anyone else. <laughs> Keep that in mind. We'll get back to that later. And then the third quality of your dominant function is that you do it consistently very, very well. Okay, that means you can be impressive doing it. You need to do an activity like that because it builds your self-esteem. And the world needs you to do things that you're good at because it needs people to do things that they're good at because those are the things that need to be done in the world and they need to be done well. So... Your dominant function is easy for you, and it's gratifying, satisfying for you, and you do it well. Okay, well, yeah, you need to do that a lot in the day, and it's important for you as well as the world. Okay, well, then think about your auxiliary function. Well, it only has two of those qualities. It's, it's pleasurable for you. You can actually get the... Um, enjoyment the way you would with eating, okay? Yeah, you can do it for an extended period of time and get some, some good happiness from doing it and you create happiness with other people around you by extension when you're doing it, okay? And you know what? You do it well. 
<laughs> you don't even necessarily have to be taught how to do it well. You certainly don't have to be taught multiple times, okay? But it's not something automatic like breathing. You actually have to be um, signaled to do it. You need a motivation like hunger. Something needs to tell you, okay, it's time for you to do this activity. The world usually tells you that in some way, maybe directly, maybe indirectly. But since there are those two qualities, it's still very natural for you to appreciate it. And you know what? Getting the motivation from someone, something else, the indication, that's really not such a bad thing, like hunger. It can be annoying, yes, but it's not bad. (laughs) Okay, well, how about your tertiary function? Well, you know what? Like walking, you can do it very well for a brief period of time, but you need the motivation. Just like in eating, you need some kind of indication that it needs to be done. Something in your life has to tell you this activity that's not your personality. It is not one of the letters of your natural nature, behavior. Okay, so you need the motivation like eating, some kind of indicator that it needs to be done. But since it's not really pleasurable for you, you also need some compensation. It's not automatic, so you need the motivation. And it's not real pleasurable, so you need the compensation in order to finish. You know what? A lot of people, they struggle doing their tertiary function to completion. They're willing, like walking, to start, okay? But once they get bored or annoyed doing their tertiary function, they really don't get to where they need to go in their performance of that activity. So a lot of times what they need is a reward when they actually finish. You need motivation and compensation to do your tertiary function. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, the world that we live in, people don't know themselves well enough to be able to say, this is what I'm going through internally as I'm doing this activity. Sometimes their compensation is their motivation. That's not healthy. It's never a good idea because your tertiary function is outside of your nature. You need to have the motivation, which is the reason to do something. You genuinely have to believe in what that activity will produce, the principle of that activity. And then the reward is in addition to that. You do need both because if you end up doing your tertiary function without both of them, it will do damage to you, even if not immediately and maybe not so obviously, it will be on an internal level and it could be very long-term for you in the end. Okay, well, you know what? Your inferior function, yeah, you know what? It's not really something you're good at. It's not really something you enjoy, and yeah, you just, you don't have that kind of experience. It's not easy. It's not gratifying. You're not good at it. In fact, it's like running. Your body is resistant to it. Your mind and heart are resistant to it. When you have to do these things, it can be frustrating for you. And that's why you shouldn't do it for more than a certain period of time. Okay, so what you need in order to do your inferior function, you need motivation, which is a very, very good 
reason, a, a belief that doing that activity is going to be beneficial, not only for you, but for the people around you. Well, you know what? You need some compensation. Yeah, you need the reward when you have finished it in order to say, this was definitely worth it. I got the acknowledgement that I needed, that I received that that kind of appreciation for the work that I did. And you need recovery time. When you have the time to actually say, like running, this was exhausting for me. And it was almost harmful to me if I've done it for an extended period of time because it wears away on what I am internally. Okay, so with your inferior function, you need the motivation and the compensation and the recovery. How much do you really know based on your personality what is motivational, what is rewarding to you, and what is cathartic, what is healing for you? Sometimes that alone is tough because if you come from maybe a culture or a family, a society, um, a religion or other very powerful social group, you might not have the freedom and the opportunity to say, well, does this really work for me? What do I need? Okay, well, then especially if you know your personality, you can say to others, this is what I need, and this is why I need it, and this is how I need it. People appreciate that a lot. And if you not only know yourself enough to be able to explain to people what and why you are and do for the reasons, then they can say to you, wow, you know what? I didn't even necessarily know that about you. These are the things that you have to offer as your dominant and auxiliary function. Yeah, I I think I'm going to reach out to you too. And that's where the synergy comes in. The synergy of let's come together and maximize our greatest strengths and abilities. And that would increase the appreciation, which produces positive energy, which is contagious. I say it all the time. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is no neutral energy. If you are mindful of your own quality of spirit and the energy of your emotions and the inclination of your thoughts, you can then say to people, look, I just spent an extended period of time doing something that is not my nature, and I, I just need a timeout. I literally need to take the timeout to take care of myself, to get myself back up to a high-quality state, just like if you had been running 10 miles. Well, you know what? You might be really good at doing your inferior function. You should not do it more than a certain amount of time each day because it wears away at you to have to do it. Because think about this, when you're doing your inferior function, it is to the exclusion of your dominant function. You're literally not breathing while you are running. And so if you can say to people, please don't ask me to do this activity for an extended period of time, or please don't expect me to do it well, or 
I really do need some recovery time. I need to restore my strength and my energy and my positive spirit when I'm done doing this. Believe it or not, most people would say, yeah, okay, that's fair. I'll go ahead and give that to you. Because when you are done giving yourself what you need and how you need it as you're taking care of yourself, when you get back to that person or that situation, the quality of your performance and your thoughts and your feelings has improved. It has increased exponentially. Thinking about what you are capable of, the 100% of your potential is to do certain activities in certain ways, only with that positive energy and that proactive mind. When you are at 100%, you're amazing. When you're at 75%, you're still pretty good. How about when you're at 50%? Well, you know what? Yeah, you're still able to get stuff done, but it's not as beneficial for you or the people around you because you're just trying to keep your head above water. When you're below 50%, let's say you're only at 25%, you are becoming toxic. You are actually harmful to the people that you are around because your energy is negative and your performance really isn't that good. Well, it's okay to be able to say, these are the people in my life. These are their gifts and strengths and talents and abilities. I I like to um, describe the dispositions as body parts. You know what? If you're an SJ personality, you're like a bone. If you're an SP personality, you're like a muscle. If you're an NF, you're like a heart. And if you're an NT, you're a brain. If you say to people, yeah, you know what? I really appreciate that this is your strength, this is your ability. If you have friends in your life, or even just people, you know what? That don't even have to be friends. Just people that you know in your family, in your social circle, in your work your place of employment, that have different abilities. When life presents you with challenges or demands or tasks that need to be done and you go to people in your life and say, you know what, for me, this is like running uphill barefoot in the snow because I have issues, (laughs) because it's a lower function. This is like running for me or even walking. You know what, this is so annoying for me to do. I really don't want to do this. But it's like breathing for you. You're amazing when you do it, and you love to do it. I'm going to give you the gift of helping me. Let me ask you this. Do you genuinely believe that there's more joy in giving than in receiving? That's a big part of synergy, too. When you can say to someone, I am giving you the joy of giving to me, not only because... I'm giving you the opportunity to perform your dominant or auxiliary function with me, which is what you want to do as much as possible, right? Especially if it's dominant. But I'm giving you the appreciation and letting you share in the reward. Even if that person is not going to receive directly and personally the reward that you might be getting when they help you perform this task, they will see your happiness in having the reward from the work, the high-quality performance that was invested maybe by them 
and they see your happiness and they know that your happiness was a direct result of them. What you're telling them is who they are naturally is high quality and they are valuable. No, you know what? They're invaluable. They're so meaningful and they're worth so much, they can't even be quantified in a dollar value. They are priceless. You have just increased their quality of soul because the soul is about the body and the heart and the mind and the spirit. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and open up the lines to the callers again. Um, Just for a few minutes, uh, if you have general questions, the number is 888-627-6008. Okay, now, if I don't get any callers, I'm just going to be going on to a couple different subjects when we're talking about issues that people might have with MBTI. One of the, the most common complaints that I hear When I tell my new clients, when I tell my friends and family, you know what, I really need to use this because when I'm dealing with people, I need to understand them. And this helps me to not only understand them, but to appreciate them in a more mindful way, in a genuinely heartfelt way. Well, some of the complaints that I've heard people they say, well, then it gives people the right to not do the work to really get to know people. Okay, well, you know what? The bottom line is it does take time to truly know someone. You can't just read a book about someone and know who who they are, really everything about them. That's true. Real relationships take time and attention and thought because it does involve making that connection. And people are hard to connect with, some even more than others. But you know what? When you have that good quality information, as you are learning more and as you are developing and cultivating a relationship with someone, you are then more able to, as you're fortifying that, as you're expanding that, as you are improving that relationship, you're more able to do it in a way that prevents problems. You avoid conflict. A lot of the times, what happens um, in people, between people, the problems are simply a result of miscommunication. You know what? A lot of people, it's about what they heard. Sometimes it's about what they said. Sometimes it's about the way that they said it. When you have that understanding of their personality, you can put it in the context, what they said or what they did, in the context of their nature You can say, wow, you know what? If someone else of a different personality had said that exact statement in those exact words, that would be a huge red flag. Well, you know what? For this person, that's actually not a bad thing. It was a compliment. (laughs) Wow, how much would you pay to know how to avoid problems before they even happen? What would it be worth to you to avoid the conflict before it ever manifested. When you have a relationship with someone, how important is it for you to not fight? Well, in order to not fight, you need to understand. You can understand someone from the very beginning. That will help you appreciate them. Okay, well, some people say that personality profiling just makes people closed-minded and judgmental. 
Okay, well, anything that's potentially good can be potentially bad only if it manifests in an unhealthy way. So then let's think about human behavior in general. Being closed-minded and being judgmental really is an indication of that person's heart condition and their mindset. You know what? What we think and what we feel when we are interacting with other people is going to determine how we respond to them and how we react to them. If we're going to be reactive instead of proactive, if we're going to be judgmental instead of forgiving, if we're going to take information and use it as an excuse to avoid doing the work, that is an indication of our own laws, our our own genuine badness. Because the truth is, there is no neutral energy. We are either good energy or we are bad energy before we even do the things in our life that are going to create the consequences. When you have people in your life that you are going to interact with, if your mindset is already positive and your energy is already genuinely high quality, before the other people even come around, you will manifest it in the way that you interact with people. Being closed-minded and judgmental is who you are before you even interact with the other people. And if someone is taking a potentially good tool like personality profiling and using it in a reactive or a destructive or a manipulative way, you cannot blame the tool for the execution and the behavior of the person wielding it. Okay, well, another one I hear a lot is it's wrong as often as it's right. So if it's kind of hit and miss, like going to a fortune teller, future teller, you know, reading tarot cards. Well, that's not really true because it's only wrong when the information that has been submitted is either not specific or not accurate. And here's the problem, really the source of the problem in those situations. A lot of the people don't know themselves well enough. They don't know how to answer the questions accurately because a large part of what they're doing is not true to them. How much of what they're doing, like I said earlier, based on their culture, based on their individual, say, family of origin, when they have had experiences with friends or um, within a religious organization, if a priest is molesting the children, in the congregation, that doesn't make the doctrine of the religion that because the priest is not complying with the doctrines and the principles of the religion. We have to remember that the people who are doing things are a part of what things are being done and the source of what those things came from based on the principles that the, there's a lot more involved than just what a person is saying, I, I don't know myself, I don't really get the chance to know myself because these experiences that I've had, I've never had the, the freedom to even find out who I really am because of this experience that I had. Well, then you need to not even take that personality profile test. You need to get through a lot of the experiences that you've had. You need to be able to 
learn how to be honest with yourself and to take an objective look at not only the things that have happened to you, but the people who have been in your life and say, how much of what happened to me was genuinely healthy? How much of what the people in my life were doing to me and around me and with me was healthful? How much of it was proactive and how much of it was reactive? What things have I learned in life as a result of these experiences? What have I learned about people as a result of these experiences? How much of that is helpful? How much of that is accurate? How much of it is beneficial? And how much of it do I genuinely agree with? What's the good that's going to come from me getting to know myself and giving myself the freedom to do the things that my nature says. I really do want to do this. I need to do this. The world needs for me to do this. What's going to happen if I actually start doing things that the world needs to have done? What's going to happen to me if I start taking better quality care of myself? Let's just say for an hour a day, okay? What's going to happen if I put myself into a better, higher quality state to me? What's going to happen to me? There's going to be a lot less problems in your health. Part of putting yourself into a high quality state is taking a time out in life and saying, you know what, this might be my, my recovery time because my lifestyle now demands that I do my inferior function for four or five hours a day. Well, then you need to take a time out and you need to reevaluate how you're spending your time in your daily life. You can say, I need to do things to heal my soul. How about I just need to do things to stop doing damage to my soul in the first place? Those are all very, very profound thoughts, questions, concepts, principles. But when you really do understand that the benefits, the long-term and the short-term benefits to you and the people around you are worth taking the time to say, I have no idea. I really do need to start from the beginning. I need to look at human behavior as something that we are born with. We are born with a personality. Studies have shown that we even have a personality before we come out. The ultrasounds and the different things that, different tests that now are available through technology show consistent behavior patterns. I like to think of it as God. Some people like to think of it just as nature. Other people like to think of it as the divine power that doesn't necessarily have a name, but there is definitely something with a volition and something with um, a focus and a purpose, right? There are certain things in the body we need more of. We only need one brain. We only need one heart at a time. How many bones do we need? How many muscles do we need? Yeah, we need a lot more SP and a lot more SJ than NT and NF. What happens when an NF starts doing, yeah, SP things? Well, great. But you know what? Then an SP doesn't need to do those things. They might then say, okay, I'm going to do SJ things because the people in my life, the things in my life that demand an SJ aren't getting done. Ask yourself this. What do you think would happen 
if everybody just got back to the percentages, the actual activities that I described, the nine to 10 hours a day doing your dominant function, three to four hours a day doing your auxiliary, two to three hours a day doing your tertiary, and one to two hours a day doing your inferior function, if all of the personalities did just those activities in those percentages, those um, proportions, things that needed to get done in the world would get done effectively and successfully and proportionately in the right ways at the right times for the right reasons. And the motivations and the compensations and the restorations would also be evenly distributed. That would propel positive energy. And sometimes that positive energy is motivation enough just to have that, that knowledge and that genuine trust that when we are authentic and we are performing in an organic way according to our true nature, people appreciate it and they need what we are and what we have. Yeah, that's, that's something very exciting for us to learn. It might be kind of surprising but what's it worth? What's it worth to them and what's it worth to you? Most of the people now, I just noticed, I've, I've actually done some traveling recently. <clears throat> Most of the people say, it's not worth the time. People aren't worth the time. They're too much work. They're too much, there's just too much negativity. Well, okay, how about if we had the energy and we created the synergy with people of our own positive energy? What's more powerful, positive or negative energy? What do you think? So, summary then today of of the show, everyone does everything. It's not about function in life. It's about functional order. Find out. Don't necessarily take your personality profile if it's too much mental work for you. Ask yourself in life, what's the easiest thing for you to do? naturally, like breathing. What are you just the best at doing without having to put forth concerted effort in order to do it very well, impressively? What brings you the most pleasure without having to have a motivation or a compensation in order for you to justify the investment of your time? And and what just makes you happy? Nature, or whatever source you want to see it as, make sure that all of the gifts and talents and strengths and abilities are sufficiently distributed enough to keep society and the world running smoothly. Surrender to that. Cooperate with that. There are just certain amounts of certain kinds of activities that need to get done in life in order for things to happen in the most effective and fruitful way. Cooperate with your nature and your synergy potential is unlimited. Okay, so to all my listeners now, I want to let you know that my shows are a little bit different. They're going to be different now. I'm going to have another show on Thursday evenings at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. That's 5 p.m. Mountain Time, 6 o'clock Central Time, and 7 o'clock on Thursday Eastern Time. Okay, that show is going to be about relationships and the synergy of the way we come together 
and that's going to be mainly for the callers who have questions during the week. I'm going to to let people get onto the radio show, the the company's website, bbsradio.com, and you can go ahead and submit questions to me. I also have a separate email address, Synergy Relationship Coaching at gmail.com. If you have questions that you want me to address for all of the listeners, that will be the show that you can listen to and participate in. On the weekends, like today, I'm still going to have my, my Sunday show at this time, but it's going to be basically about personalities. We've got a lot of people who are very interested in MBTI, but there's not a whole lot of good, good quality, practically useful information about this personality profile system. So if you want to know more about it in the specific details, you can go ahead and call into the show on Sunday. And I'm pretty sure that when people are going to be talking about it more because there's not a whole lot of conversation going on yet, um, there will be another show also in Spanish coming up. So I wanted to let all my listeners know that. I'm starting to get a Spanish-speaking audience sort of a following on different business websites. If you know someone who's interested in listening to this kind of information who speaks Spanish, I would be willing to respond to enough of a demand and get that third show coming up each week. We all know that relationships are important. Unfortunately, the society that we live in, currently the industrial and commercial society that we live in, just says, you don't need people. Take care of yourself, me first. But in our hearts, we all know that people matter to us very much. We need to be needed. We want to be wanted. And when we're honest with ourselves first, then we can be honest with each other. When we take care of ourselves first, then we are more qualified and willing to take care of others. You can be honest and say, you don't know how to do that. Because a lot of us never learned how to do that. We were raised by the television and by magazines. How willing are you to learn the different things? How many questions do you actually have but you never asked? And how many sources of information, reliable, high-quality information, do you go to that are consistent? and that have a value system that you agree with. Well, at some point, politics is going to have to accept that the differences and the divisive ways that it approaches people and that it pursues its own interest not only has a short-term effect, but the long-term effect. We are becoming more and more divided. If you're interested in becoming united, you have to understand people and you have to know how to communicate with people. When you're communicating, how much do you listen? How much do you talk? Which one's easier for you to do? Which one's harder? If you know yourself and you accept yourself and you can explain yourself to other people, you are going to be empowered to do those things. It's not, it's not easy, especially now with the sicknesses going around and the, 
the standards, the interactive standards. We don't have that personal interaction. We're not allowed to have contact. We can't even see each other when we talk. Now we have to yell in order to be heard. We can't do that anymore. We cannot have those things that are going to continue to augment the distance and the division between us. If you know someone that would appreciate the information, if you know someone that could use the information but wouldn't necessarily appreciate it, go ahead and share the, the days and times of the show because now it's going to be more about interacting with the listeners, not just talking to them. And if we have a professional environment where people are more about being socially accountable and emotionally responsible, that's going to get people more healthful, more healthy. How many people work remotely? Is that a good thing for the company? No, because there's no synergy there. When we're using technology, we don't have the human factor. Humans are what make us amazing. In the world that we live in, humans bring something to society that animals don't have. Humans and interaction create something in relationships that technology doesn't provide. We know that we need each other and we want each other. And if we ever say that's not true, we're in denial. That's never good for anybody. Thanks for listening to the show. Can't wait to hear from you all very soon. Again, the next show is on Thursday at 5 o'clock Mountain Time, 6 o'clock Central Time. Thanks for listening to The Power of Synergy. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona.